Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today, all of you online and everybody here in the room at London. I know you guys got plenty of things you could be doing on a Sunday, and uh, we're glad that you chose to spend some time with us. My name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this week, if you came to hear another message from the questions uh, Christians Don't Want to Answer series, uh, I'm sorry to say we're going to take one week break from that series. Uh, but I'm excited because I'm going to share with you guys probably one of my top three stories uh, from Scripture, one of my favorite stories um, from scripture. So here's the deal. If you're like um, thinking about Jesus or exploring faith, or maybe you just don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, or don't know what that means, or don't even care what that means, uh, but maybe you came here and you were wanting to hear, you know, you'd heard about this series and you're wanting to hear something, you know, in that series, you have my permission. Okay. You have my permission to not listen today. <laughs> All right. How's that? So you have my permission to not listen, but Here's what I'll tell you. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe that the content from today can help you. Uh, if nothing else, it can give you an inside uh, perspective of what it's like to follow Jesus and to be a follower of Jesus and maybe some of, those, so some of those areas. So you can just kind of sit back as an observer and peer into this. And primarily, I wanna talk to those of you in the room today who are followers of Jesus. But like I said, it'll help you if you listen. All right, well, like I said, my name's Austin and um, I wanna let you guys know a little bit about me. Some of you all know me, know a little bit of my story and many of you, you know, your fresh faces. I've never met you before, you've never met me. Um, but I was, um, I was raised in a family where um, my parents split up before I even remember. Uh, they divorced and I, I, I guess I was in kindergarten or younger and I don't remember like the events around that or whatever. Uh, and my dad remarried a lady, a great lady and um, they were together for like seven or 10 years. I don't know, you know, I'm a guy, we're not good with time. But uh, anyways, um, they were together for a long time and then that uh, relationship ended and they separated, went, went uh, their separate ways. And my dad and myself moved into my grandfather's basement for a little while, all right? So uh, my grandma had already passed away. So it was my grandpa, my dad and myself basically living the bachelor life, all right? Uh, so I lived in my grandpa's basement and um, uh, just shortly after that, they started building some condos and uh, in this place, in this little area of town, and they called those things Saddlebrook. And so my dad uh, decided we were gonna move into one of those. And uh, what you need to know about Saddlebrook Estates, because that probably doesn't mean anything to you, you really don't care. But at Saddlebrook Estates, something happened that changed my life forever, that drastically changed the course and direction of my life. And that's why I'm telling you the story. So here's what happened. We moved into Saddlebrook and uh, there was people moving in as, as, as uh, the little condos were getting finished or whatever. And uh, this, this family moved in across from us. And I came home from school one day. I was a uh, freshman in high school and uh, I already had my license because I got held back in fifth grade. Fifth grade twice, yay. All right, so that's who's talking to you. <laughs> that always seems to come up whenever I'm up here. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, so I had my license. I was 16. I drove home and I noticed this car behind me. It was a silver Celica. And uh, I thought I could see in my rearview a little bit. But uh, I went on home and I noticed that car went to this house where these people had moved. So I kind of went in and it sounds creepy now, but I kind of peered out the window. And what I saw changed me forever. It changed me forever. Because what I saw step out of that silver celica was the most beautiful, <laughs> fine, hot, whatever word you wanna use, female <laughs> that I had seen. 
and I saw her. And this is, this is the woman I saw right here. That's who I saw. Whew, now you understand. And I was like, man. So you know what I did? I didn't know who she was. So I launched a full-fledged investigation, right? I went to school. I was like, yo, this family moved in across from me. There's this girl that lives over there. Here's what she looks like. She drives a super silica. I think she goes to this school, you know, and they were like, trying, people were like trying to help me figure out who this person is and tell me something about her. Cause I'm not going in blind. Okay. I'm going in with Intel, right? If I'm approaching this girl, I'm going to do my work. I'm going to do my research. So eventually I figure out who she is. I figure out her name. I figure out a little bit about her. And then I'm like trying to plot and trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to make my move? How's this gonna happen, okay? And I would like to tell you that I manned up and, you know, walked up, said, what's up? How about you give me those digits? I'll call you later. <sighs> no, that would be terrible. <laughs> and that didn't happen. But before I tell you about how we met, I left a really big detail out of this story. It's really important. And that is this, this girl that I saw, she looked like this. And I, <laughs> don't get ahead of me. <laughs> You're like, you still ugly. <laughs> you don't need a picture, we can see you. I looked like this, yes, it was worse. <laughs> so I don't know if you know what a soul patch is, but I'm, I'm working on one right there. And I'm pretty sure that's a Bob Ross starter fro <laughs> with highlights. So I took it up another level. Now, pause on the story just for a moment. Where were my friends? <laughs> nobody told me, like nobody took me aside like, Austin, dude, you gotta, you gotta do something. <laughs> Have you seen yourself? <laughs> so here's what I'm figuring. Like I got people in my life at this time that called me friend. So they must've all been talking about this. Like, without me, like, has he shaved it off yet? <laughs> no, he, he still got it. <laughs> what about his hair? No, still a fro. <laughs> Man, his stepmom must have got all the mirrors in the divorce. <laughs> and he's just not able to look at himself. That's the only explanation. But here's the, here's the thing. I looked like this and she looked like that. And so... If you haven't figured it out already, we got a problem. Because can we be honest, okay? Maybe you think I'm a terrible person for saying this. Sixes marry sixes. Sevens marry sevens. Don't look at me like that. Really? I mean, come on. Maybe there's some wriggle room for a few numbers if there's like enough money involved. But that wasn't the case. And so I found myself in a situation where this girl's definitely out of my league. Like this girl is, is, is several numbers above me, but I saw her and I was gonna make an effort anyway. So I put in the work. And the truth is, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of funny or whatever. Um, but, but the truth is I really did feel like, okay, there's probably no way this girl's gonna go out with me. There's probably no way. This is not gonna happen. And I'm here to tell you today that this June, I will be married to that hottie for 13 years. 
And we got a little girl. And the point of that is to say, God is able to do exceedingly more than you can ask or imagine. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and that's, that's true and it's funny, but with all sincerity, okay, honestly, with all transparency, I really, really, really did not feel like I had any shot at this girl, but I was going to take a shot. I was going to take a running leap, okay? And I did, and it paid off. And like I said, I'd like to tell you that I walked in on smooth and I, and I, and I was like, you know. But what really happened is, see, I've got these little sisters and I'm kind of a prankster. And I pranked one of my sisters in front of her friends. And she decided she wanted to retaliate. Mm -hmm. So she found out where Jesse, that, that's my wife's name. She found out where Jesse was going to be. She was in the workout room at this place called Saddlebrook. They had a workout room. So my little sister, my dad takes her up there. Thanks, dad. Um, she marches in there and she says, my brother Austin has a crush on you. <laughs> and that is 100% the truth. So I get a call from my dad and he kind of tells me what's just happened. And I'm like, great, but I didn't care. I was like, this is an opportunity. So while I'm still on the phone with him, I'm getting in my truck. I'm heading to the, the weight room at Saddlebrook Estates, walked in, obviously swept her off her feet and the rest is history. But in all reality, I did not think that I could get with a girl like that. I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think that was gonna happen. As a matter of fact, after we started dating for a little while, you guys are gonna love this. I probably shouldn't even tell you this. I wrote her a song. And the song was called Dream. And the chorus said, you're the kind of dream that can only make me smile. So please don't wake me, just let me sleep and dream that you need me for a while. <laughs> now, you can, there's some tough guys in here that are like, dude, that's, that's really, really lame. That's really dumb, all right? You just lost all credibility with me. But let me tell you something, tough guy. If you'll add a little tenderness to your toughness, it'll help you with the ladies, all right? That one was free. All right, here we go. <laughs> But seriously, I was in a situation where honestly, I did feel like there's no way I'm gonna end up with this girl. There's no way. Like if there was a line on this, like there's, there's like the odds are definitely not in my favor. And we've all been in places like that in our lives, right? Where we, we feel like we're up against something that it's probably at best, it's an improbability. At worst, it's hopeless. It's not gonna happen. And, and it runs the gamut from things that are just trivial and minuscule, kind of like this could have appeared to have been, except it changed my life forever. It ended up being a big deal. And, and it runs from that all the way to things that are very, very serious and things that are very, very heavy that we come up against in our lives, things that, that bring us down, things that we can't move past, things that make us feel like we don't have what we need to make progress in our lives. We all feel like that sometimes. Sometimes we feel inadequate. We feel like I'm not capable of doing what I need to do to push through this. And if we're honest, sometimes we get to a place where we feel a little bit hopeless. See, all of us, we have vision for our lives. You may not call it that, but you have a, a picture of the way you want your life to be. You have a picture of uh, a way that you want uh, different areas of your life, like maybe your marriage to be. 
You want it to improve. You want it to be better. There's things that could be better. And you want that. And you have a vision for that. And you've been trying and you've been trying. You have a vision for a life where you're not addicted to something. You have a vision for a life where you can, where you can have self-control and say no to those things. We all have vision for, for, for areas of our life. It could be with a relationship with your parent. It could be whatever. And if we're honest, sometimes it just feels hopeless because we've been trying and we've been trying and we've been trying and we feel like we're not making any ground. Listen, we've been praying. We've been praying. We've been praying. We've been praying. We've been asking God to help. And it just seems like what we're up against is insurmountable. Like there's this huge mountain in front of me and there's no way I can get over it, under it, around it or otherwise. If you're honest, you felt that way before. And so the question that I wanna ask you today is in what areas of your life do you feel hopeless right now? Now, maybe that's too dramatic of a word, hopeless for you. So maybe, the, maybe I could ask you, what areas do you kind of feel a little hopeless about? What areas are you starting to maybe give up in? What areas have you kind of just mailed it in? You know what, it is what it is. I'm not gonna worry about it. He's never gonna change. She's never gonna change. I'm never gonna be able to retire. I'm never gonna be able to have that. Whatever it is, what area are you struggling in? What area do you feel hopeless in? For some of you, it's an addiction. It's something you've been trying to break free of all your life. You've tried all the stuff you know to try. And you know what? You feel like it's never gonna happen. It's never gonna change. For some of you, people know about that addiction and for some of you, people don't even know about it. For some of you, it's struggles. For some of you, it's finances. It's the bills. They keep coming. You can't put anything back. You're never gonna be able to retire. You're never gonna be able to get ahead. You're never gonna be able to move forward. For some of you, it's school. Some of you, it's a test. For some of you, it's relationships. Could be your relationship with your parent, your relationship with your child that is broken. And you can't seem to find a way to put it back together. You can't seem to, to figure out what it takes and whatever it takes, you feel like you don't have it. You feel like you don't have it. You feel like you don't have what you need. And you know what that does to you? It keeps you from ever trying. It keeps you from ever starting. It keeps you from making progress. And the story I wanna share with you today is the story of a lady who found herself in a situation like this. And it wasn't trivial and it wasn't small. It was heavy and it was serious and it was big. And it's from 2 Kings chapter four. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now Elisha is a prophet of God. So this woman's husband was of the company of the prophets, which is essentially a group of people that were Christians that got together and helped each other out pretty much like a church, okay? He wasn't a prophet himself. They just called him the, the company of the prophets. So she tells uh, Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. This, this good man, he's in the church. He's doing good things. He's dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. He loved God. But now here's the situation. It gets worse. His creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And this seems weird to us and this seems foreign to us, but this is the way it was. This was the law. If you had debt and you passed away, 
Your creditor could go to your family and collect that debt from them. And if they couldn't pay, you could enslave them until the debt was paid off. That's just the way it was. And so can we just stop for a moment and not gloss over this situation and not just let it be words on a page or on a screen and take a moment to, to feel a little bit of what this woman is possibly feeling. She's just lost her husband. He's died. We don't know how. We don't know if it was expected, unexpected. We don't know. Not sure that it matters. She's lost her husband. And now, if she doesn't come up with the money, her sons are going to become slaves. She's going to lose them too. So she's going to go from a woman who is a happy wife, happy mother with a great life, to a woman who's all alone with nobody. If that's a bad situation, that's a heartbreaking situation. You talk about a situation where it feels like you're really up against it, where it feels like you can't get around or over or through, but don't miss what she did. She's already doing the right thing. She did something very wise. She went and she asked somebody for help. She went to Elisha. She went to somebody who's further along than she is, who's more mature than she is, who has more authority than she had. She didn't go to her little group of friends who would just tell her, you know, sit there and have a pity party with her. That's what we like to do, right? Whenever we're, we're thinking about making a decision or whenever we got to get out of it. You know what? We, we want to go to our little group of friends, same old people, right? We go to the same old people and we talk and we tell them about our bad little sad story and feel sorry for ourselves. And we like it when they pat us on the back. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad, Susie. She didn't do that. She goes to someone who can help her. See, my daughter, Ellie, when she was learning how to crawl, when she first learned how to crawl, she couldn't crawl forward. She just crawled backwards. <laughs> and she would use a lot of energy and she would spend a lot of time and she was just going backwards. And then we got her one of those walkers, you know, you can sit them down in the walker. And they're like hanging there kind of and their feet can touch. I thought, hey, maybe she'll be able to make some forward progress in this thing. So I set her down in that one morning. I start working on breakfast. I'm hearing her going to town over there. And then I look over there and she's backed all the way up against the cabinets. Boom, trying to go further. I heard all this commotion. She's spending all this energy. And I wonder if we don't do that same thing in our lives. I wonder if, if we're trying to make progress in our lives, but we're spending all this time and we're spending all this energy and we're spending all this emotion and we're just going backwards because we're just talking about it the same old way with the same old people. We're not really looking to get help and move forward, but we think because we're busy, because we're using energy, because we're... We think that we're making progress, but you know what we're doing? We're actually digging ourselves a deeper hole. She got outside of her box. She got outside of her norm. You know what some of us need to do if we want to make progress, if we ever want a chance at getting past some of this stuff in our lives? Some of us need to find somebody that we can ask for help. That we can ask for help. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, I'm telling you, that can change your life. Because here's the deal, we hate asking for help, don't we? We hate asking for help. There's this thing inside of us called pride. And we don't want people to know that we don't have it all figured out. We want people to think, oh yeah, look at him, look at her. We don't wanna be vulnerable. We don't wanna humble ourselves and ask somebody for help. I'm telling you, one of the greatest ways 
that you can make progress in your life is to humble yourself to the point that you go ask somebody for help. Not the same old crew, not your same old friends, not the ones that are gonna tell you what you need to hear or what you wanna hear, excuse me, but somebody who's further along than you. Do you have somebody like that? Do you have a mentor? Do you have somebody who's more mature than you? Do you have somebody that's been through what you're trying to do or what you're dealing with? Or maybe it's a counselor. We gotta learn that it's good and it's okay and it's right. And it's not weak to ask for help, fellas. We have a hard time with this, don't we guys? It is not weakness to ask for help. But you know what it is? To sit there and struggle with the same old things year after year and be the husband you are year after year and never get better and never improve and just be frustrated all your life. You know what that is? Stupid. It is, man, and I'm right there with you. I struggle with the same stuff. And we gotta learn to ask for help. And that's what she did. She asked Elijah for help. Because we don't know it all. And we don't have all the answers as much as we would like to think we do. So she tells Elijah what's going on. And Elijah replies, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have? What do you have in your house? Now her husband's dead, she's about to lose her sons. She needs to come up with some cash. And he says, what do you have that's of any value? Do you have anything? What are you bringing to the table? Do you have anything that we can use in this transaction? And she says this, your servant has nothing there at all. Nothing at all, except a little oil. Except a little oil. Isn't that just like us? I don't have anything. I don't have anything to offer. We don't give ourselves credit. And if we're really honest, when we think about ourselves, see, we put on a good front in front of people, but we put ourselves down. See, we see potential in other people, but in ourselves, we usually just see the problems. We usually just see the problems. And you know what we do? We look at everybody else and we envy them. Yeah. We look at them and say, man, I wish I could be like Bill. Man, look at him. He makes so much money. I wish I could be like her. She's so beautiful. Look, she works out too. She puts it on Facebook. It looks like her life is great. Right? And we look at that and we look at people and we look at... And we think, man, they've got it all together. They've got, they've got this, they've got charisma. They're a great communicator. They're a great leader. They've risen up the ranks of the ladder of success. I just, I, I, I got a sense of humor. That's all I got. I, well, I'm dumb as a rock, but I work hard. That's all I got. Why couldn't I be smart? If I could have been smart, I probably could have climbed that ladder, right? I mean, that's what we do to ourselves and that's what she's done. He asked her, what do you have? And she says, I don't have anything at all, oh, except for a little oil. She feels like she has nothing to offer. But what you need to know is oil was a big deal back then. Oil was a precious commodity. It was basically their electricity because that's how they lit things. That's how they got light. 
was from burning oil. They used it for many other things. So it was valuable, but she, she just didn't have enough. She just had a little. She felt like she didn't have what she needed, like she had nothing to offer the situation. So here's my question to you. What do you have? What do you have? I know that's a weird question. And it takes some thought. But some of you, you're saying, you know what? All I have is, I guess I'm creative, kind of creative. All I have is just a little bit, I just have a little bit of hope. All I have is just a little bit of faith. I've got some patience. I'm, I'm just a humble person, which you would never say because you're humble. <laughs> I guess, I, I mean, I just have some leadership skills, but I don't look good enough to stand up and lead people. They'll, they'll make fun of me. They know what I've done in my body. Some of you are like, oh, I, I mean, I'm pretty administrative. Like I'm, I can organize things. That's pretty much all I got. And that's how we view it. We're like, all I have is this. And that's what she said, all I have. And so Elijah didn't seem to be phased by this. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars and don't ask for just a few. I like how he threw that in there. Don't ask for just a few. So she's in this situation. She goes and asks for help. And Elijah, the representative of God at this point in history says, go ask your neighbors, go do something. And can we just pause for a moment to, to, to recognize how humiliating this probably is? Also, let's recognize the fact that when he says this to her, one thing she doesn't do, she doesn't look back at him and say, Elijah, don't you know what I've been through? I've just lost my husband. I'm about to lose my sons. Could you go do it for me? She didn't say that. She wasn't having a pity party. But she has to go to her neighbors, right? And not just ask for a few. So can you see this? <clears throat> oh, hey, Susie. <clears throat> hey, <clears throat> uh, sorry about Tom. Thank you. Um, do you have any empty jars? Uh, yeah, I've got some empty jars. Could I have some? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Here you go. Here's two jars. Um, do you have any more? Yeah. How many, how many do you need? I don't know. Um, just all of them? <laughs> I mean, she's essentially been asked to go door to door asking for a handout. That's what this is. Most of us wouldn't do that. Most of us wouldn't humble ourselves to the point where we would be willing to really do what God's asking us to do. But this woman does the work. She does the work. She goes around, she knocks on the doors, she asks, she collects all the jars that she can possibly collect. She's taking them back to the house because God asked her to do something. And she did it. You know what we do most of the time? We ask God to do things that he's asked us to do. We're asking God to do things that, that God doesn't do. We're like, God, Lord, send me somebody to tell about Jesus. Lord, just send me somebody. And he's like, um, 
Great Commission says, go find somebody and tell them. And we're praying for all these things. And we're asking God, you ever prayed for that, that, that mysterious check to just show up in the mailbox? You ever prayed that prayer? God, let there just be a check in there. A million would be good. <laughs> one, one pastor said it this way and it resonated with me. He said, God makes trees, he doesn't make chairs. God makes trees, he doesn't make chairs. He says, stop asking God to do things that he doesn't do. See, he made trees and he made you. And that's where he stopped. And he said, why you need me to make a chair? I gave you breath in your lungs. I gave you strength. I gave you a brain. Go get the tree, chop it down, cut it up, sand it the way you need it, make you a chair. But we want to ask God for all of it. But sometimes, sometimes we're asking God to do what God's asked us to do. And that's why oftentimes we're not making progress. See, we're sitting back and we're praying for God to take care of the situation and, and fix the situation and remove the situation. But what have we done? Have we, have we actually done anything? Have we actually taken any steps that he's asked us to take that we know of because he gave us instruction? Here's the, here's the hard truth. Most of us haven't even looked at it. Most of us haven't even read it. And a lot of the answers to the struggles I have in my life are sitting in the book on my shelf. And it's just true. Now the children of Israel, these were God's chosen people. They were enslaved in Egypt and God brought them out of slavery. He brought them out of slavery and he gave each of them, each tribe, an allotment of land. And in the book of Joshua, we see a little bit of a, a picture of something that's going on, uh, a, a little problem with the allotment of land. And I just wanna point this out for you guys real quick and we'll move on. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, Joshua was their leader, he's God's man back then. Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed abundantly. So here they are, we don't have enough land. Why'd you only give us this much? We got so many people, but we don't have enough land. So how does Joshua reply? How does Joshua reply? He says this, if you're so numerous, in other words, what do you have? You don't have enough land, what do you have? You got a bunch of people. If you're so numerous, Joshua answered, and the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, <laughs> Go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves. Go clear some land for yourselves. You see what they wanted to do? They wanted to sit around and talk about it. Can you believe it? Gosh, can you believe it, Tony? They only gave us this much. We're getting overcrowded. We don't have enough room. What are we going to do? God's, come on, God, do something. And so they ask him. And he says, how about this, guys? How about you pick up an ax and start swinging? How about that? How about you go take some ground for yourselves? How about you stop looking at yourself and saying, we don't have anything. I don't have anything to offer except, 
And how about you remember who you are? You're children of God. You're more than conquerors. All this is given to you. You're supposed to be taking ground. So take it. Pick up an ax. Don't sit back on your tail and ask me to do it. Look at all these people. I gave you an army of people. Go do it. And man, do we do that in our lives. And we're getting faith wrong. We're thinking sometimes that faith is just, I'm just, if I sit back and I pray and I trust, that, that, that check will show up in the mail. Miraculously, this thing will happen. And many times, many times, as someone else said, divine intervention awaits human initiative. Oftentimes, divine intervention awaits human initiative. Usually when God does something amazing, there was an action required of somebody. That's usually how it works. You know what that woman did? That woman who had lost her husband, that woman who had asked somebody for help and they had said, go do this. She picked up the ax. That's what she did. She didn't care how heavy it was. She didn't care how much it was gonna hurt. She didn't care how much time it was gonna take or how humiliating it was gonna be. She picked up the ax. She went around, she knocked on the doors. She got the stuff. You know what she did? She gathered her sons into a room. They had all the jars over here, the empty jars. She had her one little, all I have is this jar. Remember that? All I have is this. Surely this can't do anything. She said, bring me a jar. She poured what she had into it and the jar filled up. She said, bring me another jar. She poured what she had into it and the jar filled up. Bring me another jar. She kept on and she kept on and she kept on. And then it says this, when all the jars were full. She said to her son, bring me another one. And he replied, there's no jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. Just when she had what she needed. And so she went and she told the man of God, that's Elijah. She said, go, or he said to her, go. See, the work's not over yet. <laughs> go sell the oil. Could you sell it for me? No, she didn't say that. He said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. Now check this out. You and your sons can live on what's left. You see, she started out saying, all I have is this. And she ended up with more than she even needed because that's how God works oftentimes. When she was willing to do what God had asked her to do, he blessed her beyond what she even needed and was asking for. Now her and her son, she goes from a woman who thinks she's about to be alone to a woman who has her sons and she has plenty. She has more than she needs. And so my question for you is what do you have? What do you have? She thought what she had wasn't good enough. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you think what you have is not good enough. Maybe you think all I have is this and that's not valuable. All I have is, and this won't work. And God says, it'll work if you will. It'll work if you will. You have no idea how valuable what you have is because here's the thing. What you have is way more valuable than you think. This woman thought what she had couldn't help her and it changed everything for her. 
It changed everything. And God says, listen, it'll work if you will. If you just have a little bit of hope, I can do something with that. If you just have a little bit of energy, you're like, oh, I'm tired, I just don't have the energy. You got a little bit of energy? I can do something with that. You got a little bit of vision? Some of you guys have a dream in your heart that God's put in your heart to do something great for him. You've never even told anybody about it, but you certainly haven't taken steps to accomplish it because you think you're inadequate. You think you can't do it. You think it's silly and insignificant and small. And he's saying, I put that dream in your heart and it's not small. And I'll take you to a place where you realize that dream. If you'll trust and if you'll do what I'm asking you to do. If a small part of you believes that you can save your marriage and fight for it, you never know what God can use. If a small part of you believes that you can mend that broken relationship with your mom or that broken relationship with your dad or with your son or with your daughter, you know that one whenever they call, you just... You have to take a moment because they're just under your skin because of whatever they did or whatever you did. If a small part of you has faith and has hope that that can be restored, he says, that'll work if you'll be willing to work. If you'll be willing to do a little bit. Here's the deal. What do you have? What do you have? Start doing something. Start doing something with what you have. Just start doing something with it. Don't just sit back and wait. Don't mail it in. Don't give up. I know it's the end of January and we had New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year and many of us have already messed those up. You can start right now. Who cares what arbitrary date it is? You can start right now with whatever you have. Matthew, who was a follower of Jesus, he wrote about his time with Jesus and he wrote about a time whenever Jesus said this. He told a parable, a story. He said a master came and he gave three guys talents. He gave one of them five, he gave one of them two, and he gave one of them one, and then the master left. That's all the master did. He gave them those things and then he left. And then he came back later and he said, what did you do with what I gave you? And that's the question that God's asking. What did you do with what I gave you? What are you doing with what I gave you? Because here's the truth. What you have, it may seem insignificant and it may seem small, but whatever you have, whether it's a characteristic or whether it's something in this world that's physical, that's material, you know that God gave it to you, right? God gave it to you. And what a tragedy it would be And then we're done. What a tragedy it would be if the God of this universe, you know the God that that Trevor spoke about a few weeks ago, that put all of this into motion, that we believe was there in the beginning and he's there in the end, that created an infinite expanding universe. And in that universe, there's the Milky Way galaxy that we live in and it's just a speck in that universe. And in that Milky Way galaxy, There's earth and it's just a speck in the Milky Way galaxy. And on earth is you. And you're just a speck on earth. And the God that made all that, that is outside of all that, that's bigger than all that, reduced himself to a speck and said, here, here's you some courage. Here's you some talent. 
Here's you some patience. Here's you some love. Here's you a great job. Here's you breath in your lungs. Here's you legs so you can walk. Here's you a mind so that you can create things. Here's you some creativity. What a tragedy if that God gave you something and you lived and never did anything with it. What a tragedy that a God would love you so much that he would come down to be that little bitty speck and give something to you and then not use it. You want that mountain moved? You want to make progress? Then yeah, pray. I'm not saying we don't pray. I'm saying we pray and then we pick up a shovel and we start digging. And then we use our, our brain and we go get us an excavator. And then we get us some dynamite. We do whatever we have to do. Trust me, if God doesn't want you through that mountain, he can stop you. A lot of times he's just waiting on you to do something. Because here's what I know with 100% certainty, and this is it. Nothing will change if you do nothing, but everything could change if you'll do something. Nothing will change if you do nothing, but everything could change if you do something. That thing that you feel hopeless about, that mountain that's in front of you that seems like you can't get around it, under it, through it, over it, you can, but you have to start doing something. You see, we've seen time and time again I'm not saying God doesn't do miraculous things. I'm just saying that oftentimes he uses us to do it. What a gift that is. And time and time again, we've seen lives change. We've seen people, we've seen families, mothers who were weeping, telling us about their child who's gone down a terrible road, weeping, telling us, I pray to God now that if they're not gonna change, if my, my son or my daughter's not gonna change, just go ahead and take them. And I can't imagine how hard of a prayer and how desperate of a place you have to be in and how hopeless you have to feel to pray something like that. And we've seen people in that situation and we've seen God change their child's life. He can do it. We've seen him do it time and time again and he can do it for you. But you can't just sit back. You gotta do something. Nothing will get you nothing. But doing something could change everything. Let me pray for you. Father, Lord, we're just grateful to you, Lord, this morning for everything you give us, God. For the fact that we're breathing right now. You're so good to us. And Lord, you've proven yourself faithful time and time again. And Lord, I pray for myself and for these people for everybody listening, watching online, Lord, that we would find the courage to start doing something with what we have. Lord, that we would find the courage, if we don't even know what we have, to find people that we can get in our lives who can help us answer that question and tell us our gifts and what we bring to the table. And God, may we never just sit on them. God, may we use them to make progress in our lives and to make progress for your kingdom. 
And Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.